The Rangers fell just short in a heartbreaker against the Devils Tuesday night. We'll look back at the first three games of the season and break down the good and bad from the blue shirts thus far. We'll talk development and coaching with the post Larry Brooks. After the Rangers split the first two with the Islanders, we'll chat with an Islanders legend and Hockey Hall of Famer, Mike Bossy. All that plus the debut of You Got Mail is next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. If you're not an Apple user, there's Spotify, there's Stitcher, Google, Amazon, nypost.com is where you can find us. Joining us later in the show will be the post Larry Brooks, as he does each and every week here in the second episode of Season 2 of the pod, as well as Islanders legend, four-time Stanley Cup winner, Hockey Hall of Famer, Mike Bossy. But first, let's welcome in our host. It's our new co-host of the show this season, the post Molly Walker, and the star of the show, former Ranger number 10, Ron What's up, guys? Great to be back for another episode. Rangers had their first three games of the season. They're officially one and two to start this sprint of the 2021 season. It is officially on, Ron. The Rangers lost to the Devils in a heartbreaker Tuesday night, four to three. What did you see there? Well, before we get started, Molly, I got to share with you that the feedback that I've gotten after show one has been overwhelmingly really good, really good. Like people are telling me, Molly's awesome on the show. So (laughs) glad that she's part of the team. So I just needed to share that with you. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about your beginnings and your beginnings. We've talked about this before. What got you started? Who was a uh, person that kind of shared and helped with you? And that's no other than Stan Fissler, the Maven. (laughs) And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm thinking of you. uh, I thought we'd give Stan a little pub. I don't know if you know this, but Stan has Java Jive once a week hockey report that for all our listeners, you can actually go buy it. It's a, they have a monthly rate of only $2.50. And because of Stan is really part of us and we got to have Stan back. Not only is he part of history in New York, but he knows so much, but he's just he's just a friend of our show. So I just needed to share that. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's been uh, three games, and I'm really looking forward to this season for different reasons. I love how it's been divided in certain ways where the teams that are in certain divisions, they're going to see each other a lot. So this rivalry is going to be better than I imagine. And what I didn't expect is what I saw the other night in the Devils. My goodness. Like, I knew Lindy Ruff, an experienced coach. He was a very successful coach in the past. But he's been kind of quiet with the Rangers, just more of a specialty coach. Now he's given this head coach job. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And my goodness, that the Devils look really good. They're fast. They're quick. They work hard. And they gave the Rangers everything they could handle. And a lot of it has to do, of course, with good goaltending. But I'm really looking forward to the uh, continued battles between the Devils and the Islanders. This is going to be fun. Yeah, you said it, Ron. I mean, the Devils did look absolutely spectacular. And Mackenzie Blackwood absolutely stood on his head. I mean, 50 shots. He made 
so many saves, a ton in the third period alone. The Rangers had three man advantage opportunities uh, to tie the game. So kudos to Mackenzie Blackwood and Chris Kreider in the post game also said it. You know, there are just some nights where you just got to tip your hat to the other team. But, you know, we talk about it later in the podcast on our first You've Got Mail segment. But the Rangers didn't get off to the start that they needed to. You know, they had one shot on goal through over 11 minutes of the first period. And, you know, they kind of turned it on a little bit at the end of the first and were only down 10 to 7 inches shots, but it's not the kind of start that they needed. The power play was pretty good. It was two for six with goals from Kreider and Zibanejad. But I think the number one person on the ice that I want to mention is Jack Hughes, 2019 first overall pick. He just looked like he put on some serious muscle. He played like it in the corners. He was moving with and without the puck. His two goals were really nice. And honestly, his celly on the second was even nicer. Well, that goes, uh, I give credit to Lindy Ruff. Uh, he had a conversation with the kids, say, look, we're not going to just try to hide you to play against certain lines on the other team. We're going to give you plenty of ice time. And we're not going to be concerned with you playing against a top line from another team. You just go out. You just go play your game. Be confident because I have confidence in you. And I got to tell you, as a player, that goes a long way. So, of course, you have to have good balances. You got to score early. And sure enough, that's what happened with him. His three games, uh, he's been doing well. And now they got a kid that I believe can be the franchise player that everyone thought he was going to be. Now we got to see if Kako can uh, do the same thing for the New York Rangers. Yeah, I mean, Hughes is in a seven-way tie for the most points in the league so far with six, next to players like Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall. So that's not bad company for for little Jack Hughes to be in company with. But probably another reason why the Devils game didn't go the Rangers' way is, you know, no production from the top six at even strength. After two really good games against the Islanders, Pavel Buchnevich kind of disappeared, and he only had one shot on goal. So that's definitely something that the Rangers are going to have to focus on going forward because, like we've said, no night is going to be an off night. Every game they're going to have to be on, especially that top six that the Rangers rely so heavily on their offensive production. Yeah, and I'm going to remind everyone, there was no training camp this year. No training camp. And that's where, for some of the veteran players or even the younger players, players they get in a certain rhythm and uh you can work as hard as you can the coaches can make it look like it's game situation in practice but it, there's nothing like playing a game so we didn't know what we were going to see for me i thought well things might be a little inconsistent and essentially that's what we've seen i think the work ethic has been there for all the players you work hard but mistakes are going to be made and mistakes are made with so many skilled players on the ice you're going to pay a price and that's where you need goaltending. We've seen some of the games that have won. A lot of those games have been won by really good goaltending. I totally agree, Ron. I mean, 10-day training camp, no preseason games. The Rangers were just thrown into it, as were every other team in the NHL. And that kind of takes us back to the first two games of the season, Rangers versus Islanders, back-to-back, January 14th, January 16th. Islanders took game one in convincing fashion, a 4 to nothing win in the first game. Probably one of the worst losses under David Quinn, in my opinion. Shesterkin probably should have had the first one or two goals. And another game, the Rangers took a penalty within the first two minutes of the game when Jack Johnson was called for holding at 149. And then Brock Nelson scored on the ensuing power play. As far as bad season openers, Ron, is that one of the worst you've seen from the Rangers? It was disappointing, yes, because you're expecting more, especially in that first period. When you're playing at home in your backyard, you always want to send a message. And uh, I always had a sense of uh, 
excitement and how do you do that? How do you create that? And I think part of it, it goes to not having an audience because I love feeding off the energy of a building. If it's not there, you're, you're kind of playing the game, but you're also playing for the fans. And so the energy wasn't there, a physical element to the Rangers. Uh, so you wonder why. And uh, when you look at the makeup of their team, this is not a physical team. That's why I think that they started making some changes on the lineup. I was disappointed in the energy. It wasn't there. you got to go. you got to send a message. The Rangers didn't do that, and they lost control of the game. But on the flip side, they turned around two nights later and did the exact same thing to the Islanders. Took a 5 to nothing win in the second game. Rangers absolutely flipped the script. Georgiev continues to be a nightmare for the Islanders. In reality, he probably should have gotten both starts, but I understand giving Shesterkin the start out of principle. It was his first season opener and start of his first full season with the team. But Georgiev comes out, 23 saves in the win, recorded his fifth career shutout and his second over the Islanders. I mean, he had a 3-1 and record with a 2.81 goals against average against the Islanders last season. So Georgiev just said something about the Islanders that he just really shows up every game. Yeah, for a coach, that's what you're looking for. How is your team going to respond? We're going to have a talk. We're going to chat. We're going to go over things. But it really comes down to heart and character and playing under a system. And for the Rangers to respond the way they did as a coach, that is so pleasing because then you know that they care and they really have it in them. So they went into New Jersey against New Jersey. Uh, again, slow start, but you never know what's going to happen. I think they responded well. They end up getting, what, near 50 shots on net. So I think they finished the game well. You know, it's just a learning experience. Game three, it's only three games. And moving forward, they just have to find that consistency from the start of the game to the end. Every ship is very important. And the Rangers will look to do that as they open their four-game road trip to Pittsburgh and Buffalo starting on Friday. They'll face Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Penguins opened with two losses to the Flyers. They gave up 11 goals to Philadelphia combined. So that that's something that they're probably going to be looking to redeem themselves on. But they did follow it up with a shootout win and then an overtime win over, over the Capitals. And then they'll also face Jack Eichel and Taylor Hall in the Buffalo Sabres. And it'll be a real good one. A couple of uh, new opponents and a couple of new members of the family. Rondu Gay now has a cat. Now, a big story. We have to talk cats here for a minute. Ron, because Sarah looks like she might have been Mika Zibanejad because, I mean, you could call Sarah McCrory because she's a pirate right now. She's going to need a patch soon. Sarah, can you explain what happened as you've been assaulted by a kitty cat? Well, if anyone listens to our New York Giants podcast, they'll know that I have two little kittens. I've talked about it on there a few times. One of them was playing with a wire last night and I went to pick her up and move her and her back foot hit my eye and scratched the top of my eyelid and the bottom of my eye. So it looks like I was out on the ice last night, but I wasn't. <laughs> can so. you play? Can you take over for Mika? Can you take over for uh, Shesterkin? Well, you know, I did grow up playing hockey, so gotta <laughs> go grab the skates for my parents' house. <laughs> We've got a Brendan Lemieux shiner above her right eye. It's, it, it's truly I just startling. gotta knock out some teeth and then Listen, I'll I try to good. tell people dogs are better than cats. It's simple as that. Now, Ron, you have a new member of the family. What is the name of your new kitty? Uh, her name is Thea. Uh, not my idea. My Aww. son Noah. Noah not came up idea. with <laughs> yeah, Thea, yeah. 
came up with several names and none of them that I like. And I said, keep it simple. So he kept it simple. Is Thea, new member of the family. She's 12 weeks old, a Maine Coon cat, beautiful cat, very smart. In fact, they, they when you describe this cat, there's a certain look, but the um, it's almost as smart as a dog. It kind of acts like a dog, like you call it, it'll come. Uh, it allows you to uh, pet it and all that. And so it's not that independent like most cats are. Well, Ron, I've been absolutely begging my mom to get me a cat for months since quarantine started, and I think I just figured out what will get her to get me a cat, and that is having you ask her to get me a cat. That yeah. is exactly what needs to happen. Yeah, I don't mind to be used that way. I'll have a chat with your mom. Oh, <laughs> Great, no. thanks, Ron. Or, or you could just show her Sarah's eye, and then she'll not get a cat for you. you could, <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to have Ron convince my mom to get me it a cat. It was my fault. Don't pick your cat up near your face. That's, that's the rule number one <laughs> that's what we're coming out of this learning yeah, well you'll never find me with a cat um, but you'll catch molly and ron chat with the hall of fame rangers writer larry brooks right here on up in the blue seats next joining us next is our new york post hall of fame rangers beat writer larry brooks Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. The first thing I wanted to pick your brain about is Quinn's decisions regarding ice time. I've read a lot of people aren't happy with how he's deploying Kako, questioning how Jack Johnson is remaining in the lineup. I know you asked Quinn about how Lafreniere barely got on the ice in the final two minutes Tuesday. I'm curious what your thoughts are on how he's spreading the ice time. Is it too too early to be too critical? The Rangers have a lot of similar players who are basically fighting for top six ice time. And they're all kind of skilled, talent players. And you can't fit them all into the top six. So on any given night, there are going to be a couple who just don't get as much ice time as the rest. I thought last night, actually, Quinn recognized the fact that Kako was playing pretty well. And, and listen, during, the, during much of the game, Kako's ice time was a little bit down, and so was Hedl. But if you take a look at the last five to eight minutes of the game, when it was crunch time, he went with Kako and Hedl. So I, I thought he did a pretty good job. But again, you've got eight guys who are talent guys. The guys who are playing on the top six now, and then you've got Heedle and Kako. So there are eight going into six. Some nights, you know, there are going to be a couple of guys that get 12 minutes, 13 minutes, 11 minutes. That's just the way it's going to work out. And it's also the same on the power play. A group of players, and especially with the first unit staying on now for minute 30, a minute 40 of a two-minute power play, there just isn't that much time for the second unit. And you've got five forwards or maybe even six, who may deserve time on the second unit that just aren't going to get it every night. So I think it's going to be a an issue. I think it's going to be a game-to-game game issue. Whoever is playing better is going to get more ice time. I think there are going to be decisions that will be made if Ryan Strom continues to struggle. I don't think Chris Kreider has gotten off to a real fast start either. So there are going to be some decisions to make with their top guys, but there there is always going to be a push and pull for ice time. As, as for Jack Johnson, you know, Jack Johnson plays on the left. So that putting Tony D'Angelo back in, and I expect he'll be in on Friday, it doesn't have any impact on Johnson unless you want to move Brendan Smith to the left side. So Listen, I, I you know I, I think Jack Johnson has been about the same as everybody else on defense. I, I think they've had good shifts and bad shifts. I think a couple of players had exceptional nights against the Islanders on Saturday. I thought Truba was one. 
he had a difficult night last night. So I think there are going to be decisions to be made. But, you know, it's funny. Last year, Quinn was heavily criticized for playing Brendan Smith up front and then moving in uh, to the back on the, on the first pair with Truba at the end of the year. And people were, oh, well, David Quinn obviously loves Brendan Smith. Now it's, well, how come Jack Johnson is playing? Oh, well, David Quinn obviously loves Jack Johnson. So I think, you know, we're three games in and let's see how this shakes out before we all on Jack Johnson. I think Jack Johnson right now is a victim of reputation more than anything else. And, and really the reputation from last year. You know, because Jack Johnson was a pretty good defenseman for a long time in the NHL. Mm -hmm. I hear that everybody should just should just calm down. But going back to the Tony D'Angelo saga, David Quinn said Wednesday the coaching staff was still debating whether he would get back into the lineup after being scratched the last two games. So you do think that we'll see him Friday. And but what is the case to keep him out of the lineup or put him back in besides the fact that he's the second highest paid defenseman on the team? I don't think there is a case to keep him out at this point, unless unless there is something that developed between D'Angelo and the coaching staff that we are just not aware of. His transgression in the opener, <laughs> I don't think rises to the level of sitting out for three straight. I understood why they kept him out, because they had played so well on Saturday. The defense was excellent. You know, you generally don't want to disturb a lineup after you win 5 nothing. So I thought it was understandable to keep him out. Last night, I, I I I don't think it would be understandable to keep him out on Friday. And salary aside, here's their first power play guy. So I would be stunned if he's not in Friday. And if he's not in Friday, then there's there's a lot more going on than we know. Larry, um, talking about the Rangers, you and I talked about certain players who were kind of named assistant captains. And I had asked you, is there anyone that stood out that could take that leadership role? And you mentioned Kreider. Now it appears that Truba has stepped up. Would you agree with me that we're seeing a little di a different Jacob Truba? I do. I, I And I think it was instructive that actually David Quinn singled him out after the game Saturday night, because other than that, we wouldn't know. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not there on off day. We're not there at all right now in the room, but we're certainly not there on off days uh, when they're having their team meetings. So, yeah, I think Jacob Truba is a leader. I think he needs to elevate his play on a consistent basis. I thought last night was an unfortunate stutter step back for him because he'd come off such a good game Saturday. He didn't play particularly well last night. So I think he needs to find a level of consistency. But I think he's an important voice. And I think that he is going to be one of the players who is not in that, you know, age 19 to 22 group. He's one of the 24 to 27-year-olds who he's been in the league now. I think, what, this is his eighth year. I think everyone respects him, and he always competes. And, and that's uh, even last night. You know, even when he is, is not playing well, he's always competing, always. And um, I think that's an important, a very important attribute for a leader to possess. And you can't call out anybody else if you're not willing to call out yourself. You can't demand effort from anybody else if you're not giving it yourself. And I think that puts him in a, in a good position of leadership. Larry, with things being different this year with the how they have separated the team's divisional play, I think that uh, most of us can agree that it's going to be exciting watching the Rangers play the Islanders and the Devils and Pittsburgh and all that, all these several games. So what kind of, uh, I didn't know what to expect out of the Devils last night with Lindy Rupp being their head coach, but my goodness, I was really impressed on the job that he's done and how his team has played. How would you assess Lindy Ruff and the New Jersey Devils? Because uh, we're going to be paying attention to them 
Oh, I think they're a team worth paying attention to, and especially if Jack Hughes can play at this level. And I don't, I don't mean putting up three points a night, but Jack Hughes is playing at an elite level, and that raises everybody. They're fast. They're on the puck. They work hard. <laughs> at the same time, they gave up 50 shots last night to a team that didn't really have its biggest guns going either. You know, they gave up 50 shots on a night when Kerr and Sabanajad and, and Strom and Panarin were, you know, were not at their best. So they still did give up 50 shots. But that being said, Mackenzie Blackwood is a big time goaltender. You know, there is so much talk about Carter Hart as an up and coming elite goalie. And obviously, there's a lot of talk here about Shesterkin. And there's been a lot of talk about Sorokin in, in, uh, with the Islanders. But Mackenzie Blackwood has already put in a full year of upper echelon goaltending for a not very good team last year. You know, he is one of the keys to their team. Certainly, I think they need help on defense. They get trapped in their own end for ships at a time. But I think they're going to be an energetic, interesting team to watch. And certainly, Jack uses. If fans were allowed in the building, he's worth the price of admission. So when you have a player playing at that caliber, it elevates everybody. And, and of course, you know, they're doing it without Heesher. They're doing it without Brat. When they get them back, they'll be even stronger. They'll, they'll be a fun team to watch because Lindy has always, or, or since he went to Dallas at least, staying in Buffalo was a little bit different. They had a different team, different kind of team. But when he went to Dallas, they were just an all-out offensive force. I would expect you'd see this similar type of approach from New Jersey this season. Sticking with the Devils, Larry, in your column in Thursday's edition of the paper, you compared the progress of the two top picks in the 2019 draft in, in Jack Hughes and, of course, the Rangers' Capo Caco. I'd just like to get your thoughts on comparing their development, especially after the 4-3 to three loss Tuesday. Well, I think Hughes is obviously a step ahead right now, or two steps ahead, or three steps ahead. You know, he's made a massive jump. And from one year to the next, I think Kako's progress is uh, incremental, but I think it's there. And I think he's one of the bright spots of the first three games for the Rangers. I would say that Buknevich is the brightest spot of the first three games, but I also think that Hedl and Kako are there. And, and, and I think Kako, he's handling the puck more. I think he's uh, a little less stubborn with it. I think he's moving it a little bit. You want to see him get into the scoring areas, maybe a little bit more, but I think it's coming with Kako, and, and right now Jack Hughes is getting first-line ice time. Kako is getting third-line ice time. Hughes runs the power play. Kako can barely get on it because of the logjam of players demanding ice time on the power play that the Rangers can't satisfy. So, you know, I, I think there's a difference, I, and I think that Hughes right now is, is certainly ahead, but I think Kako's progress is something to watch. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk hockey with you, Larry. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day, and I look forward to our chat next week. Thanks, Molly. Talk to you guys. Our first guest of season two of Up in the Blue Seats is perfect with the Rangers coming off two games against the Islanders last week. He was the purest goal scorer of his generation. Drafted 15th overall by the Islanders in 1977, he quickly became one of the most beloved players the franchise has ever had. An integral part of the Islanders' four-year reign as Stanley Cup champions in the 80s, he is still the NHL's all-time leader in average goals scored per regular season game. He reached 100 career goals faster than any other player in NHL history, and he is one of just five players to score 50 goals in 50 games. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1991, and his jersey was retired by the Islanders the following year. 
There's not enough time in this podcast to list all of his accomplishments over his 10 seasons in the league. So without further ado, the legendary number 22, Mike Bossy. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well, and thank you for the nice introduction. It's always, always appreciated, even though I've been out of the game for, boy, 32 years now. It's always nice to hear uh, those statistics. While you're talking to someone whose mother was the biggest Rangers fan ever, and you absolutely ruined her life in the 80s. So it is quite (laughs) a fun experience for me as well. But, you know, first things first, I wanted to ask you, you know, how you're doing and how you're feeling about the start of the hockey season amid these crazy pandemic circumstances. Everything's well. Uh, fortunately, uh, I, I've been able to, uh, as, as well as my family, stay clear of COVID-19. I've uh, restarted uh, my my uh, work with uh, with TVA Sports here in Quebec with uh, with the hockey uh, underway again, and everything's uh, everything's going well. Can't complain. I'll knock on wood. Hey, Mike, it's Ron here, and I have to wish you a happy birthday this Friday. You're going to turn 64. Yes, sir. 64. We're about the same age, aren't we, Ron? Yes. How do I know that? Because you and I are the same age. We're drafted the same year. I was drafting 13th overall and you're drafting 15th. And uh, people are always interested in our beginnings. And I've never heard your story about your first month uh, as a New York Islander. You showing up at training camp, first round pick. What was training camp like and how did things develop with you in training camp, your relationship with Al Arbor, and then all of a sudden you're playing with Brian and Clark? How was that first month set up for you? Well, the, the first month was, uh, listen, I, I was fortunate enough to play four years of junior and live at home. I played for Laval, which and my family lived in the same city, so I never had to move. So actually going to New York was the first time I'd ever been away from home for uh, for any any period of time. I had gotten married that summer, so in September going to New York for training camp was quite a new experience for me. And obviously getting to the Islanders was an eye-opening experience for me because, you know, I was quite an offensive player in junior. And one of the reasons that they said that I was drafted later was because I, I couldn't play defense and I wasn't physical enough, wasn't fast enough and so on and so forth. So, you know, I was a little bit shy, I guess, when I got to the Islanders and, and a little lacking in confidence, I'd say, because, you know, I, I was wondering if I was going to be good enough in all the other aspects of the of the game to make the team. And I'll always remember the first couple of days of training camp going up to Al Arbor, uh, you know, at least three or four times each practice asking him if I was in the right position and I was doing the right thing in certain plays. And all of a sudden, on the third day, he, he looked at me and he said, listen, we drafted you to score goals. Go out there and do what you do best. And if I have anything to say to you, then I'll whistle and I'll call you over. So that really gave me a huge boost of confidence to know that I could basically go out there and do my thing and learn from the other guys, which was extremely important. I mean, you know, we had a, we had a, a great hockey team bunch of guys who were extremely responsible for their play on the ice in in every aspect of the game so you know I learned uh, after a couple of weeks uh, even though I wasn't tearing uh, up uh, training camp I was moved on to a line with Brian uh, Trossi and Clark Gillies and we 
just clicked immediately. And I think we got a goal or two in the first exhibition game we played. And things sort of just took off from there. Uh, I hardly ever spoke to Al for the rest of the year. And and I was very conscientious of making sure that I learned from the team that I was on. You know, we had a bunch of veterans and, and a bunch of young guys on that team. So, you know, sometimes it's difficult because, you know, the John Paul Parises, the Jude Drouin, Burt Marshall, Ed Westfall, I mean, those were older guys. So, you know, it was tough for them to see the young guys come in and start taking their, their position. But at the same time, I learned a lot from them. So it was the first month was, uh, was a, a new experience. Obviously, at the end of the month, I was told that I could find an apartment and that I'd made the team. So uh, everything worked out perfect. Well, Mike, I got to share with you that uh, we, you and I have some things uh, in common because I also played four years in junior. I didn't have to leave home. There's a few differences between you and I, though. Your first year, you scored 70 goals as a 15-year-old. And the other difference is you went to New York and you got married. I kind of waited on that. <laughs> well, I, I think if, aside from the goal scoring, there probably couldn't be two guys who are more different than, than you and I, Ron. I'll always remember my rookie season when, you know, I mean, obviously you play junior, you don't know the other the other guys that are drafted. You don't know the other guys, you know, from Ontario and from, from the Western League. And I, I remember saying to myself, who's this Ron Duguay guy who got drafted before me? And when I saw the long flowing hair and the curly hair, and I said, "Oh, okay, Ron's a Ron's a, Ron's a guy who likes to who likes to freewheel." Mike, Mike, it's called it's called a free. I'm a little bit of a free spirit. Well, yeah, you you freewheeled and you were a free spirit, and uh, hey, to to each his own, right? And uh, I mean, you had a heck of a career yourself, and were a big part of that New York Rangers team back then. Yeah, so I have to share with you that Trotz and Gillies, both of them, your line mates were on the show. They're f- friends of the show. And we've we've talked a lot about uh, uh, their success and why they succeeded. And they all kind of played a part. And when they talk about you, obviously, you had the hands. But how would you describe them? Because they've described you to us. How would you describe them as your line mates, Trotz and Gillies? I'm not too sure I want to hear what they had to say about me. But, uh, <laughs> but listen, I... I can talk about them. I mean, to me, Brian was, and I hope I don't get in trouble again, because I remember saying that back in in the day during my career that Brian was the best centerman in the league. And, you know, I can still say that as an overall player, Brian was definitely tops in the league back then. I mean, he could do everything. He could penalty kill, power play. Everyone knows the great passes that he made to me. He was physical. Uh, he could take face-offs, offensive, defensive zone. You know, he was Al's go-to guy in any critical situation. And, you know, he could—he didn't have the best shot in the world. If there's one thing that Brian didn't have that was top of the game, I'd say it was his, it was his shot. But he still scored 50 goals one year. Uh, honestly, that was one of the happiest years of, of my career because Brian had helped me so much score goals that uh, when I was able to – uh, help him get to 50. It was quite a thrill for me. As far as Clarkie goes, and, and you know this, Ron, you didn't want to wake Clarkie up. You wanted him to let him play his game. And it was a great game. I mean, you know, anybody who's watching the game today, if they see Tom Wilson play or Josh Anderson with Montreal now, 
that's the kind of guy that Clark Gillies was. He was skilled, he was big, he could skate, he could hit, and if anybody dared drop the gloves with uh, with him, they saw that he could fight too. So, listen, my first year playing with Clark on the left side was unbelievable. Uh, the help that I got from him, the, just the, the security of knowing that Clark Gillies was uh, was on my left side, uh, if, if anything bad came about during a game, was quite comforting. Shifting gears to the present-day Rangers and Islanders, Mike. Of course, both teams traded shutout wins for the first two of eight meetings this season. I'm curious about your thoughts on how lopsided those games were. I mean, did they trade places or something? Uh, it was kind of kind of funny, you know. I did the first game here in in Quebec. We we had that on our network, and geez, the Rangers just didn't show up for for that game. It was, I was kind of glad for them, and I was telling our people listening that I was glad for the Rangers that they didn't have fans in the stands that night because it would have been <laughs> it, w- it would have been quite ugly, as as uh, as you well know. But they were able to come back. I mean, you know, the goaltending wasn't the best in in the first two games, and. The, the Rangers just didn't come out for the first game. I don't, I don't know why, but they were able to come back uh, against the Islanders and how the Islanders goalie was hurt by uh, an errant shot in warm-up. So that never helps. But, I mean, it's a great rivalry. It, it always has been. Uh, and with as many games as they're going to play against each other this year, I'm sure it's going to return to be one of the best rivalries in the league. You were obviously in the thick of that Rangers-Islanders rivalry, and there were several seasons you played where you played the Rangers up to 10 times during the regular season and then again in the playoffs. So you know what this Islanders team will go through having to play the Rangers eight times this season. I wanted to know how high the tensions can get by that eighth time you're playing the same team. Oh, it, they get pretty intense when you play that much a, against any other team. You know, there's there are always little things that happen during a game that sort of makes the temperature rise on, on either side. And fortunately, I think these days, for the most part, the games don't get out of hand. There were uh, times back in the 70s and, and 80s where games did get out of hand. That was unfortunate, but it does tend to uh, rise the, raise the temperature in, in, in the players when they, when they play that much against each other. And, and especially knowing that, uh, you know, you're in the same division, any win could help you make the playoffs and any loss could turn into something that makes you not make the playoffs. So it's quite a rivalry and it's always fun to watch. Mike, please share with us what you know about the, the first-round pick for the New York Rangers, who they uh, believe is going to be a franchise player, and that's Lafreniere. Uh, he's played in Quebec League. I'm, I'm assuming you spent some time watching this kid. How would you describe him to the Ranger fans now? And he won your award. Yes, he did for the best NHL prospect. Listen, he's a big kid, and please, everyone has to remember he's only he's only 18 years old, so he hasn't got a point uh, yet this year. I mean, people uh, have to be patient. You know, one thing that I think that everyone will notice about him is that he does things the right way. You know, he's he can play defense, he can play offense, he's got great hands, a great shot. You know, it's just a matter of him adapting to uh, to the NHL. And ice time. You're used to playing as a junior. You're used to have getting a, a whole bunch of ice time. And I, I think I've looked at the stats and the first games that he's played and and I as I said before I did the first game so you know what I did notice during the first game was how much Zabinajad and and Panarin spend on power play and how much time that they stay on the ice so 
you know, Ron, as, as much as anybody else, if you want to do well statistically, you need some time on the power play. And, but that'll, that'll come. That's, uh, you know, that's up to the coach to, to try and figure out how, uh, how he can get him on the ice because a player of that caliber needs to be on the ice to perform well. Hey, Mike, it's Jake Brown here. And, you know, that, that free-flowing, free-spirited Ron Duguay faced many times. But did you or any of your teammates ever find yourselves in the halls of Studio 54 partying uh, during, during – I know you got married pretty quickly, but did you ever find yourself with Ron at Studio 54? No, I, I, I don't know if I should say fortunately or unfortunately <laughs> I, I didn't find myself there with Ron. But, uh, you know, I stepped foot in that place once, and that was uh, in 1979. But I believe they had uh, we had a Challenge Cup that was uh, played with NHL All-Stars against a Russian team. And I think Dennis Potvin said that uh, after one of the games or on a night off or whatever he said hey we're going to go to studio 54 and it was the, it was the last thing my wife and I wanted to do but we walked in and and I'll tell you I had never seen anything like it in my life it was uh, talk about eye-opening experiences that was certainly one we didn't stay for very long so I didn't get into any trouble but I think for for the kind of guy that I was that one five-minute visit taught me that I shouldn't go back there Well, Mike, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk some hockey with us and a little Studio 54. I hope you enjoy the rest of the NHL season. And here's to some fun Rangers and Islander games, huh? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching uh, watching some more of that uh, rivalry this year. All right, guys, it's now time for a new segment called You've got mail. In honor of the old AOL. Everyone had their AOL email. And remember that sound from the early 2000s. It's you got mail. You can call in, Rangers fans, to the show. We will play the best voicemails. Ron and Molly will respond to them. Your questions, your comments, your concerns. With the blue shirts, you got Studio 54 questions. You got questions about share. Ron's got that covered as well. We got it all covered here and up in the blue seats. If you're too scared to hear your own voice, you can always email us. And we'll read your emails up in the blue seats pod at gmail.com. The number to call in is 781-691-0128. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and leave your message. Guys, we got some this week, but we'll choose one of our better ones. And here it is. Hey, Ron and Molly. This is Zach from Queens. Hope you guys are doing well. My question is, when it comes to the Rangers, they seem to get off to slow starts. And I was wondering what you guys think that's due to. Are they are the coaches not getting them ready? Are the players themselves just not prepared to start going at the opening puck drop? And perhaps the second part to that is, are taking early penalties and how that affects the team as the game goes on? Well, first of all, Zach, thanks for being our first caller in. We really appreciate that. And to answer your question, you know, look, the Rangers poured on 50 shots. In my opinion, I think they played well enough to win. But like Zach said, it was another bad start, you know, and that's why a win didn't come to fruition. You can't give up a goal in the first 32 seconds and then go on the penalty kill another 30 seconds after that and expect to get off on the right foot. You know, if the Rangers weren't caught sleeping to start the game, that Travis Sajak goal may never have happened. And, you know, I'm curious, Ron, how tough is it to give up a goal that early and get your mind back into it? Well, if I can only speak for goaltenders, I I can tell you that there's so much pressure on them to make that big save. And when it doesn't happen, 
I believe that uh, they kind of go in a little bit of a shell depending on who it is. And if it's a young goaltender, sometimes they don't manage it well. But as far as uh, the preparation of a game, especially after you've come off a big win, I believe that coaches are really prepared, especially in today's game, and players are prepared. And when I say that, uh, the opening faceoff, winning the draw is really important. So coaches normally send the right guys on the ice to be able to do that, control the puck, get some action going. But you never know. That's the beauty of hockey. You never know because so much of it is good bounces, bad bounces. As much as you can be calculating on everything you do, you just get bad bounces. And sometimes it happens. It's all on how you rebound from that bad bounce. So preparation is always there and you always want to win. You're always sending out the right players, but you never know in hockey how things are going to go. You know, I completely agree. And as far as what it's from you know what the why the rangers aren't getting off to the starts that they need you know could it be maybe there's no fans in the building you know there's not that energy that they usually have that's a total possibility i'm also pretty sure quinn sent out the same starting group that that he did after the after the five to nothing win over the islanders which he was just going with what worked but you know again i feel like like you said that group that starts the game is super important so maybe maybe that is what it was what do you think ron well also you got to give credit to the other team i mean as much preparation as you're going through the other team's doing the same thing they know who they're going up against they have a set plan they're trying to do a certain thing and most of the time is win the face off get the puck deep and let's create something let's get that first hit let's get that first shot on net so sometimes you got to give credit to the other team and I have to be honest with you. I was really impressed the way the Devils came out in that first period. They're playing at the Garden. Regardless of fans and no fans, you still want to create your own energy. So Lindy Ruff is proving to be a really good coach. Thanks, Zach, for calling in to Up in the Blue Seats. Make sure you call us every week and make sure you subscribe, rate, review wherever you get podcasts. But on Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice review. I'll get you a cookie next time you're at the Garden. Thanks for listening to Up in the Blue Seats. That seals the deal for episode 40, the Alexander Georgiev edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast for the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts now and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. For Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We will return each and every Thursday all season long. Until next time... Enjoy the next week of Ranger games. Thanks for listening and stay safe.